0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Jen Souders. She is a retired anesthesiologist who now works with chronic pain patients, most notably coaching patients who attend Dr. David Hanscom's weekly Q&A group. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have Jen on the show. And like me, I'm not sure she's really retired, but she is a physician who's been through quite a bit of, quite a few phases of her career, such as I. And she is a critical care specialist, anesthesiologist. She's done addiction medicine. She does consulting. So she's a busy woman. On top of that, she's also a musician, And she's also a competitive weight bodybuilder or weight training or when you compete, Jen, what is it in?
0: Powerlifting and bodybuilding, but primarily I'm a powerlifter.
1: And don't you have a world record of some sort?
0: I do have a couple, yeah.
1: (laughs) So she's not your average um, pain specialist, let's put it that way. So Jen and I have gotten to know each other a lot this last year. We met, how did we meet in the first place?
0: Interestingly, I, for some, I don't know how it happened, but I started receiving your emails okay. and um, I found them really interesting. And as I was reading them and, and connecting with the materials, I was like, wow, this is a guy who thinks a lot like me. I really need to get to know this guy. And then um, when COVID hit and you started the Q and A sessions, I thought, okay, now this is perfect because this, this was something that really resonated with me. And we, we could talk more about why and how that came to be for me. Um, and I I jumped in and I spent about two weeks um, completely silent listening. And um, I just felt at home, I guess, um, in this group and with this approach. And um, I felt as though this really resonated with my own approaches to chronic pain and what I felt um, was really instrumental in helping people get through this very difficult process.
1: Well, what's been really great for me is that I have lots of things in the air and Jen's been an incredibly consistent supporter. And every Tuesday and Thursday at noon Pacific time, we have a virtual session between 20 to 40 people show up and we probably have a group of 50 people that are regular attendees at different times. Jen has been maybe the most consistent one of the group. And it's been great because she has lots of background. She's able to help other people in their issues, and it's a sharing session. And what we're finding out that the group setting is a powerful force for healing chronic pain. It's been very interesting. But Jen, can you give us a little background as to your training and how you how you evolved to this particular process?
0: Sure. So um, I my background as a as a human, um, I started as an athlete really very young. I was always involved in sports. And I think that was my impetus for medical school in a lot of ways. Um, I really envisioned sports medicine as being the pathway. Had I known more about medical school, I would have actually, I think, found that being an athletic trainer would have been more the career that resonated. Anyway, I went to medical school and you may not know this. I matched as an orthopedic surgeon, just you like really? you. Oh, I did. I know how the mighty have fallen, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> right. Wow, I, didn't, so, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, so I I matched into ortho. The problem was um, at the end of my fourth year of medical school, you know, you're taking electives, and um, I thought, oh, I should take an anesthesiology elective um, because, you know, I'm going to be a surgeon, and, and I should know a little bit more about what the people are doing on the other side of the screen, so I took it, and all of a sudden I got this really excited and simultaneously sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I realized that I had chosen the wrong specialty. And all of a sudden I realized ortho is really not where I think I want to be. I I want to be in anesthesiology. So you know, and you know how stressful the match is and right. others don't, but I'll just tell you, you know, it's a random, it's like the Harry Potter sorting hat, right. you know, with huge, huge career consequences. Right. Um, so I had to basically arrange um, to switch and change residencies outside of the match and all that. Um, did finish my uh, anesthesiology training, loved it. And then after that came to the University of Washington, I did my training in residency at University of Colorado. Then I came to University of Washington. There was some specific research that I wanted to work on. So that's what drove me here. And um, I stayed here on the faculty for, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Primarily the first 15 was was clinical and and, uh, research and fellowship. And um, the last five were more, I would say teaching, and so forth. I had a health problem in the middle of it. And that was a big issue. Um, And it, you know, it, it really did change a lot for me. Were you
1: doing mostly anesthesia during those years or were you doing pain medicine during those years? When did you start pain medicine or addiction medicine?
0: So I did clinical anesthesia, you know, uh, cardiovascular anesthesia, general anesthesia, ICU type stuff. For those main years at University of Washington, and then I okay. stayed on and I did teach um, the, in the simulator center there, where we where we trained people um, with full simulator modes for critical events. Okay, um, and it was it was at that time I was after my diagnosis. I had a cancer diagnosis and and had a lot of obviously. I don't want to go into personal details, but let's just say people who get that diagnosis have a lot to go through. Right. So so it was a big impact on my ability to practice. But the other thing was, as I'm taking my medical time off and sort of sorting things out, it, it had been creeping into my, my noggin uh, for several years that one of the things I really missed was any kind of long-term follow-up. With patients, you know, as an anesthesiologist, you have an incredibly intense relationship when they're in surgery immediately afterwards. And, you know, if there's ICU care, but then the people go home and if you're their surgeon, they come back to see you, but they right. don't see me. And if I don't see you and you're the surgeon that I'm working with, I don't know how did Mr. Smith do, or how did Mrs. Jones do? And I, right. I, I really missed that long-term relationship. So while I was <clears throat> Excuse me, on this medical leave and kind of thinking about where I might want to go, pain medicine became more of a natural to me because that was a clinical specialty that was an office based specialty and it was one that would allow me long term contact with people. So that was the initial draw for me. So I started to, you know, to train and learn the specialty and then I had to find. Uh, mentors and things because uh, I wasn't going to go back into a full fellowship um, with my diagnosis and things. There were a lot of impediments to that. Um, so, so I wound up going with the mentorship in a clinical practice path.
1: Then you the practiced pre-medicine for what, five years or so?
0: I would say it was all told maybe about eight.
1: Okay. But then something changed during that period of time that made a difference for you. Something switched in the way you were practicing versus the way you ended up now. What was that transition? What was that like?
0: So, I realized that I really didn't love the procedural aspect of pain medicine, the interventional pain. What I really liked was the behavioral aspects of chronic pain. You know, the biopsychosocial approach. Um, what what it was that was involved with medication management, functional improvement, lifestyle changes, things like that. A lot of this came from my athletic background. I was coached a lot as an athlete and I coached others. When I studied addiction medicine, we, we all took, I shouldn't say we all, but I and another physician in my practice, we took the addiction medicine boards because we're prescribing opioids which, of course, come with tremendous risks as well as some benefits. And our goal in the practice was to be able to diagnose opioid use disorder and refer the people for care. And that was our function. We didn't double dip in terms of both diagnosing and treating. There's a lot of considerations where you shouldn't be doing that, and it complicates your relationship with patients. So I was not involved in the actual treatment of the patients that I saw who developed opioid use disorder. But when they had problems, we did refer them for treatment. What I found though, was learning addiction medicine really resonated with my personal coaching philosophies that were outside, that were part of my personal life. And really, as I got into the study of addiction medicine, what captivated me was the motivational interviewing and the whole process of behavioral change and harm reduction and those kinds of principles. And between that and coaching, I saw so much overlap that I started to develop this personal framework to approaching chronic pain from a biopsychosocial slash behavioral aspect.
1: So for the audience, could you explain two things? One of them is what is motivational interviewing? And then we say the biopsychosocial, that means something to us, but it doesn't mean so much to the patient. So um, my... Now I need to be educated myself. So when you use the word motivational interviewing, to me, my simplistic orthopedic brain says just to listen. Is that a fair, am I, am I simplifying things too much?
0: No, uh, that that is the primary problem that most of us have. And you probably saw this research, David, that showed how little, <laughs> how little time elapses when a patient comes into your office and before you the clinician interrupt them.
1: it's 11 seconds
0: correct yeah it's ridiculous right. so listening is the hardest thing but motivational interviewing is also asking appropriate questions so in as part of your listening you can't ask the questions if you don't listen right, right. so but as you listen you you want to you want to have the person that you're talking with or listening to, you know, basically the, the the best best question is tell me more. So an attitude of curiosity is important because you want to understand what that person's lived experience is about. If they have some belief that they can or cannot do something, just as an example. Why? You know, where does that come from? And so it's an exploration of what what people have learned and deduced in their lives that lead them to certain behaviors and certain patterns and certain belief systems. And when we talk biopsychosocial, that's just basically a holistic thing. Biological meaning, you know, who you are, psychologically meaning how you think and social being who you're connected with.
1: Right. So, My again, orthopedic viewpoint is that symptoms are created by the interaction of the patient and his or her coping skills and his or her surroundings or stresses. And when the surroundings or stresses overwhelm your coping skills, you develop physical symptoms and mental symptoms. Is that a fair statement?
0: Yes, and and that is one of the things, of course, that got me interested in your work because we both see that general framework Um, in our experience working with patients.
1: So in other words, your body translates your environment into actions that keep you safe. And then you have symptoms. And What we do in medicine, we're treating just the symptoms, but we're not looking at that interaction between the person and the environment. So if you have low coping skills, it takes less stress to actually make you sick. So what's happening when we're treating just symptoms is like trying to put out an oil well fire with a garden hose. It can't work. And of course it doesn't work. So also want to be clear in your approach, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that I don't think what we're talking about takes a lot of time. You're not doing counseling. You're just find, finding out who this person is, getting to know them, and what's going on. Right? Is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah. And this is why it's really best described as coaching. Right. Coaching is not therapy. It's not counseling. Uh, but coaching is incredibly powerful because coaching is about helping the person on their own journey of self-discovery, asking the questions that lead them to their own answers, asking the questions that lead them to more of their own questions, and fostering a sense of curiosity within the individual. I mean, coaching is basically defined by the foundations of self-determination theory. And there are three main basic psychological needs in that. And they are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And this is initially the approach that I took. And this is what I saw just leaping off the pages of your book when I picked up your book and started reading it and I'll just mention as an aside is when I left clinical medicine, I left clinical medicine because my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I knew I was going to have to be traveling across the country. But, 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 I just, also,
1: but just to be clear, when you left clinical medicine, that was leaving the pain practice at that point? Yes. Okay. Got it.
0: Yes. So I left traditional clinical practice because I knew I was going to be spending, I, I was going to be going to the East Coast to be with my mother and my mother and father then both <laughs> became ill. And so, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stay in that practice because um, I couldn't be physically present. But I also found that, again, like the problem that I had, again, was not having, I had more feedback with patients, more continuity, but I, I really wasn't able to to work with them in the way that I felt resonated with me and, and help them the most effectively. In other words, it takes a lot of time, you know?
1: Well, it's also tricky to do an injection practice and, and take time to talk to patients, correct?
0: Correct. That's that's really an issue because the way medicine is structured, it's not structured for these coaching relationships, really. Right.
1: Right. And, th- and that, of course, is the essence of medicine. And, and you and I both know now working with Dr. Stephen Porges in this group we meet every week that if you don't feel safe with your provider, then... What happens? Your body's your immune system responds, and you become inflamed, which is the essence of a lot of chronic diseases, including chronic pain. So, if you can't feel safe with your doctor, where in this world do you feel safe? Right. Right. And so, um, so how many years ago was that that you quit the clinical practice?
0: Oh, just uh, two thousand. Uh, let's see, two thousand nineteen May. April, okay.
1: April, May. So I'd like to jump into right now is that in the second podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual things that you do to offer people, but I'm curious, we both know the traditional structural model. We now know how the body interacts with its surroundings and environments and what <clears throat> I would call integrated medicine to me is actually mainstream medicine. That to me is what medicine actually is. And I actually call mainstream medicine disintegrated medicine because we're just treating parts of people. So it sounds a little harsh, but right now we are in spine surgery, particularly probably over uh, most spine surgery simply should not be done. And we do procedure as invasive as spine surgery. It really hurts people. Then the injections can help temporarily, but really don't solve the major problem that you've already talked about. So... If you could summarize for us in the next few minutes, just what your general, let's say I'm your patient. I walk in and I've just retired, which is stressful. And I have, yeah, as you know, I have arthritis in my hip, which hurts quite a bit. How would you approach me? What what's your general approach now compared to say like 10 years ago?
0: I would I would basically talk to you before I normally I think what we would do is we would go to your chart and we'd get your relevant history and list all your diagnoses and all your medicines. And we'd do a physical exam. And that actually, I may mean, I just post an aside here? We spend less time putting our hands on patients and touching them and examining them now than we used to. So we right. have less physical contact and more time with our noses in electronic charts. Right. So I, I think really more what I would do is, if you were coming to me, I would spend my greatest amount of time asking you about who you are and what is your experience of pain. So if you're here to discuss your pain, well, how do you define pain? What, does, what, what is pain to you? What does it mean to you? Um, how does it affect you? How do you feel about what it has done to your life. Um, What do you feel that you can do? And what do you feel that you can't do? And um, what would you like to do? What do you wish? What do you hope? What would you want to have happen for you? And you know, it takes a long time actually to explore all these questions. You'd think you could go through it in an hour, but honestly, we start to scratch the surface on those general topics and then right. need to follow up, I think, fairly, fairly in depth on each one of the sub areas that we identify. And I, I make it patient centric. So I don't have a, a template where I say, well, David, tell me about your diet. Tell me about your exercise. I would say, well, David, how, how is this pain messing with your life, man? How, what's it like for you?
1: Right. The thing is, what's interesting about that approach, which is wonderful, by the way, is that when you don't find out those factors, again, those factors actually change your body's metabolism, which is the rate you burn energy. It changes your inflammatory markers. It changes your hormones. So it directly affects your body's health. These translate into physical changes that create mental and physical symptoms. And that's what's so frustrating right now is you're treating just those symptoms in What you're discussing are the root causes, this actual what's going on with me, how do I relate to it? But the other thing which I love about what you're doing is that when you're trying to fight and survive chronic pain, you lose your perspective. You don't know where you want to go. You just want to get through the day. Your life gets consumed by searching for an answer and you forget where you want to go. And so these are wonderful, wonderful questions. So Jen, thank you for this. we're going to talk in a second podcast about in a lot more detail about this specifics of that approach, what it looks like, <clears throat> what you think we can do in medicine in general to maybe help change that paradigm. You and I are both committed to doing that. Um, any comments right now? What, what are you doing now? Your practice now is uh, w- w- when you do the consult, you do a lot of, you're, you're busy. So what are some things that you're doing now?
0: Well, I have, it's separate from, from any clinical practices. I've had, um, a forensic consulting business, which I've had for, oh, since about 2008. And okay. that, that's just not related, but it's something that's always been really, really interesting to me. Um, I, was, I was one of these folks who studied the history of medicine in my undergraduate time and, and uh, became rather fascinated with other aspects of medicine that aren't traditional. So that, that's sort of a reflection of those interests. Um, And really what I wanted to do after I left clinical practice was I really, truly envisioned having a coaching practice for chronic pain. And it's, it's a difficult thing to undertake on one's own, in part because I work as the medical director for the Diet Doc LLC, which is a company that helps develop coaching curriculum and we make better coaches. And um, I'm one of the mindset and motivational coaches. And my mentor in that has been the vice president, Dr. Corey Probst, who's a clinical psychologist and she's amazing. Anyway, um, so I, I developed multiple business plans for, for this, but in a nutritional diet exercise based business, it really is a difficult thing to adapt that to a chronic pain coaching framework. So I. I was really writing business plans and struggling around with how to do this. And actually falling into the, the doc project with you has given me that opportunity that I really sought in, in my heart for how I would be able to be with patients is you have a group setting. Um, we, have that, we have that connection. And the things that I've learned along the way are things that I can help to share. Um, so it's a it's an incredibly meaningful experience for me. It feels like like I'm able to work with these people and and coach them, and yet I'm also part of them because, like you, I have my own struggles with chronic pain. And I think the whole one of the whole reasons behind pain for me too was my own experience with it. I empathize with these people. I didn't be I didn't feel put off like. Like everybody sort of hates chronic pain patients, but right. I really felt a lot of empathy because, you know, I lived it like you did.
1: Right. Well, Jen, thank you very much. This is wonderful. And this is Jen Souders and she lives in Seattle, Washington, and she is uh, just a wonderful addition to our, our the doc journey process. So thank you,
0: Jen. Thank you, David.
1: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jen Souders for being on the show today and for sharing the evolution of her approach to treating chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.